Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. Now we're, as, as everybody will know, we're moving along this roadmap in the UK, still keeping our distance, still keeping our masks when we're out and about. And I think the, the discussion that's been around this week is some people getting used to the idea of uh, the kind of new freedom that we might have and feeling a little bit anxious about it. And I think that's quite an interesting aspect having gone into sort of total lockdown now as the doors are opening it could be quite challenging for people our, our own selves it could be uh, difficult for people we know um, and we need to be aware of that as as healthcare professionals and as people as for our the people in our families and our friends um we're sending out obviously we always do this but i want to send out loves and love and condolences to people who've been uh, affected by COVID and obviously people who are looking after folk with COVID um, and big thanks to them because it's hard, it's a hard road uh, for everybody. And a big thank you again to our lovely midwives, especially on the International Day of the Midwife, for carrying on um, with the care to mothers and their babies and families because maternity care couldn't stop, <laughs> couldn't close, it had to carry on and midwives just got on with it and in some ways in some very creative ways and I've been overwhelmed by the amount of interesting ways innovative ways midwives have made to make sure they can provide care to mothers and babies and their families I want to also thank the vaccination centers who are doing fantastic work and getting through all these huge numbers of people to get us to that safe point or safer point I should say so, and thank you, of course, to key workers and families and our families as well, because they live with us. Um, and today, and just a bit on the news, of course, today it's International Day of the Midwife. <laughs> and I've had great fun personally at my local maternity unit giving out little goodie bags. And I was just showing my friends earlier, we were send, giving little bags to say just a little thank you to our midwives for all the work they do. And it was really nice also to share some cake. And I have to say, I was very strong. I didn't have any cake, but the midwives, there's always cake where there are midwives. And there was, you know, that we were all socially disadvantaged. So I would say we had socially, socially distanced cake. And I'll say a big shout out for North Mid where I was today. So I hadn't even had time to tweet today, which I'm suffering anti-tweet or loss of tweets today. I also want to take the, um, the chance of sending greetings to my old and new friends and colleagues in midwifery in the UK and the rest of the world. And I'm sure that Leslie and Sarah will do exactly the same. So they have their privilege as well. And big news, and I know that Leslie's going to talk a little bit about this, is the publication of the State of the World's Midwifery 2021. And it's an 80 page document. It's available online and it's a really interesting read. 
one of the things that I pulled out from it, and I haven't read it because I haven't had time, but I've pulled out a few little snippets, is a lack of recognition for the role of the midwives. <clears throat> and part of that is from the, gen the gender inequality, surprise, and the, the impact that midwives can have worldwide. And this is impacted by the fact we've, in the world, we have a shortage of nine, 100,000 midwives. And just imagine if we had an additional 900,000 midwives, what we could do for the health of women, their babies and families and the society. So I think I'm going to enjoy devouring this book and I'm hoping Leslie's going to feed us some little tidbits to, to really tempt you into getting the book, the book and reading it. Also, um, there are resources, this is on our resource list. So don't worry about trying to write down a reference. They're all on the resource list that's available with the show. And also don't forget there's, an, there's a uniform consultation still in process. And I know uniforms are always a bit of a discussion point for nurses and midwives, especially midwives. So do take a chance uh, to take an opportunity to respond to that consultation so you're part of things. Also, big, big thing, guess what? It's election day tomorrow. If you didn't know, I'm really, really surprised. I hope you're all going to get out there and vote. And if you don't, take a big shout from me because we, we had to work for that vote. Women that we've that have gone before got us our vote and we must use our vote. For men as well, because men didn't always have, not all the men had the vote. So do go out there and vote. The, the um, the polling stations open quite early too, so you can get there. So I'm going to now move on to the main meat of this this evening. Having given you a bit of a nag, I'm going to move on. So we're going to be looking at this evening at the contemporary role and challenges the midwives face and manage, and the things that impact on women, the well-being of women and their babies and families, including practical advice on how midwives can work with women to really protect their cultural identity. And I know we've been talking a little bit about this aspect in previous times, um, but this is, I think is going to be very helpful for us. And then we're going to be looking at some reflections on the International Day of the Midwife with Leslie. So I'm going to start with Sarah Ezegbona Adiebi. I hope I've got it right this time, who's a senior midwifery lecturer and the course director for the short midwifery programme at London South Bank University. Mm -hmm. And she leads modules on complex needs in childbirth. She's currently undertaking a PhD in Hertfordshire in exploring the perceptions of Nigerian women and midwives of cultural competency in antenatal care. And she's published widely on FGM and cultural issues. And that's a particular passion of Sarah's. Um, and just to say her whole CV is available online as well. I'm just giving edited highlights because I want to give her as much time as possible. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. The screen is now yours. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk uh, today on this International Day of the Midwife. Uh, first of all, before I start, I'd like to thank my team at London South Bank University. Uh, we are a very diverse uh, teaching team and we are very committed to the concept of cultural safety. We are currently um, formulating our new curriculum, which will be starting in September 2021. Mm. And obviously within that, trying to embrace 
diversity um, and caring for women from diverse backgrounds and making sure that our the students that we produce from London Southern University are fit for purpose and fit for practice. So my session today is on cultural safety. And cultural safety is a concept that was first developed in New Zealand uh, to provide quality care within the cultural values and norms of the Maori people. Uh, New Zealand, um, like other countries such as Australia and Canada, have a truly bicultural population. They have the indigenous population of the Maori people and then they have obviously um, people that have migrated into the country and settled there. Um, the concept of cultural safety is actually spread into other fields of human services like education and also to other parts of the world, particularly where there are Indigenous people uh, in former European colonies. So let's look at the definition of cultural safety. For cultural safety to occur, it has to occur in an environment that is spiritually, socially and emotionally safe, as well as physically safe for people, where there's no assault, challenge or denial of their identity, of who they are and what they need. And it really is about shared respect, shared meaning and shared knowledge and experience of learning together. And when we talk about culture, culture means different things to different people, but really is about looking at uh, culture of age, generation, gender, sexual orientation, occupation, social economic status, as well as the common things like ethnic origin and also migrant experience, religion, spiritual beliefs and disability. So cultural culture it, it encompasses all of those things, not just about um, where you are from and your cultural background. And so if we look at what culturally unsafe care is, uh, culturally unsafe care is any actions that diminish, demean, or disempower the cultural identity and well-being of an individual. And this is really relevant to midwifery practice because we know that in the UK and obviously in London, we do deal with a very diverse childbearing population. We have people from many, many different cultures, different backgrounds, religions, people um, who identify with different genders, um, individuals of uh, sex, different sexuality and we need to remember that it's very, very, very diverse the women that we look after and it's very important to acknowledge that we are looking for looking after women in maternity services or anyone who is engaging with maternity services. Now the Nursing Council of New Zealand has actually incorporated culturally, uh, cultural safety into their um, into their into, into their code which is obviously the equivalent to our NMC code. Um, stating that for a person to actually get into the register, they have to demonstrate that they are actually culturally safe. So I think that's really important. Mm. Now, when we think about cultural safety, people say, well, we're all about cultural competency. And I would say that when we think about cultural competency, there is importance of having cultural competency. And here we look at two quite common models. Uh, the first one being from uh, Campinha Bacote that developed a cultural competency model which talks about the individual in order to achieve cultural competency would have to have cultural knowledge, cultural awareness, cultural desire. Um, that's a desire to learn about other cultures, cultural skill and obviously cultural encounters. And then we look at the, the yellow box cultural competency model. This is one from Papadopoulos and this is talking about cultural awareness cultural knowledge and cultural sensitivity being important components of cultural competency. Now, I have no issues of cultural competency because I think we, 
when you're looking after people from very diverse backgrounds, you need to have some cultural knowledge. Um, and from that, you start to develop your cultural awareness and your cultural sensitivity. And obviously you start to develop then your cultural skill. And of course, you won't be able to you know, acquire that knowledge unless you have the cultural desire to work or look after women from different cultures. And of course, you need to have a good degree of cultural encounters. And the issue of cultural knowledge is that when you're looking after people from so many different backgrounds, and we know that there's a variety of them, it's very difficult to acquire enough level of cultural knowledge to be able to care for that person. And also within that, even if you do have a good degree of cultural knowledge about the woman from a particular, from a particular background, the issue then is that every woman is an individual. So then even though they come from a, from a particular culture or background, they may not practice the culture in the same way. So cultural knowledge is good to some extent and, and cultural competency is good to some extent, but the issue is, is that if you have them to look after women who are very, very diverse, and that's the, that's the case that we have in the UK today, then the issue is then is that you're not gonna be able to acquire that level of cultural knowledge that you need to provide that care. So that's the, the difference between cultural competency versus cultural safety. Cultural safety is a different concept um, altogether. And I would like to say it's probably more of an umbrella term for cultural, that sits above cultural competency. So how do you move from the concept to outcome with cultural safety? Well, there are a few things we can do. And the first thing that we need to do as midwife practitioners is to look at your own cultural identity, first of all. Okay, so it's not about focusing on the woman that you are caring for, it's focusing on yourself um, and also looking about your own, looking at your own cultural identity and attitudes and being open-minded and being very flexible in your attitudes towards people who are different from you or practice a different culture from yourself. So it's really important to understand that you have to look at your own culture and look at how it influences how you think, feel and behave. And in this way, you can start to address issues of racism, discrimination, unconscious bias and stereotyping. Because once you know who you are and where your mindset is, then you can start to be more aware of other cultures and then in that way be very, very, very sensitive to other cultures as well. So cultural awareness. In cultural safety, self-awareness um, and the importance of self-culture are more important than the awareness of the culture of the woman. Because of course, we know that your own culture plays an important role in power inequalities and healthcare interactions. Now, midwives, the way we practice is that we, we practice from, from a place of experience. And maybe if we uh, have looked after another woman um, from maybe a similar background, we might probably try to care for another woman from the same background in the same way, which is actually incorrect. So that's important. So your self-awareness is important. And also, if you start to become culturally safe, then you start to acknowledge the barriers um, to clinical effectiveness, which arise from the inherent power imbalances between healthcare professionals and the woman that you are caring for. And as I said before, when you start to develop cultural awareness, then you start to recognize the assumptions and beliefs behind your thoughts and actions, and also how they influence the care that you are providing. And it's, it, it is, 
very difficult, but it's, it's about having a critical lens on your own culture and understanding how that impacts on your, the care that you provide. So strategies to enhance cultural safety, be with women and talk to women is one of the key things you need to do. Clear, value-free, open and respectful communication. Start to develop trust with the woman. Recognizing and avoiding stereotypical barriers. And then key one, being prepared to engage with others in a two-way dialogue when knowledge is shared. And when I talk about sharing knowledge, if you start to have that, if you have that cultural competency with a little bit of your knowledge and maybe awareness and sensitivity, you can start to have those open dialogue conversations with women. Finding out about their culture, talking about your culture and having that open dialogue and two-way dialogue to discuss how the care that you're providing influences on the woman's uh, identity. One of the key things that we tend to do as midwives is that we, obviously we prescribe, we, we prescribe care in a way that um, disempowers the woman. The woman obviously gets pregnant, it's a hidden phenomenon, and then obviously they have to start to engage with maternity units, they have to come in for a booking interview. And as soon as they step through the door, that's when they start to become disempowered. Because what are we doing? They are actually now, we are actually putting the culture of ourselves and the culture of the organization and asking the woman to embrace that culture. So how do you move from individuals to institutions regarding cultural safety? So when we reflect on cultural safety, obviously, as I mentioned already, our judgments, attitudes, and perspectives will vary according to our own experience and training. Don't forget, before we come into training, we have our own culture. And then when we come into mm -hmm. training, we develop another culture, which is the middle of professional culture. We need to remember that everyone is shaped by various cultural factors. Everybody, everyone has a culture. It doesn't matter where you're from. You don't have to be from Africa, Asia, or anywhere else. You can be UK, born and bred, and you have a culture, okay? Um, you have to remember that a normal part of ethical professional practice is to become aware of the, and reflect on our own attitudes. That's what we need to do. We have to remember that our attitudes impact on our values and it impacts on, the, on our relationship to the people that we work with. And also we have to remember that on a day-to-day -day basis, what we do um, unconsciously is um, impose our culture on cultures of the women that we are caring for. And um, when we talk about the midwife professional culture, we need to think about how that's developed. So of course, we, people come into the midwife profession, we come in as students, we get training, and the training um, and the culture comes from the NMC. The NMC tells us how we need to train to get onto the register. It, the standards and proficiencies come from the NMC. These are the things you need to do to become a midwife. And so we start to adapt our own personal culture. And what we're doing is we're molding people into a profession where they're able to be on the register and work as a midwife. So the NFC standards are important and also the training. So our higher education institutes, we are now molding students to behave in a certain way, to talk in a certain way in order to, to practice. And of course, if you don't do that, you don't qualify, you don't finish, and then you don't practice. Then once we've done that training and we are on the register, then we need to think about the workplace culture. And obviously in the workplace culture, everyone knows when you work to the maternity unit, there are coaches there. 
there are this organizational organizational culture. There's coaches of the the other myriad of individuals that you are working with as well. You've got your obstetricians, you've got your um, other um, medical practitioners, you've got your nurses, other midwives, and so you can see that you've got the individual coaches of individuals. They've got their professional training, which most of them in a particular way, and then we've got the organisational culture, which is molded by policy. And so these are the things that the woman has to deal with. They have to deal with their midwives, personal culture, um, her professional culture, and then they have to deal with the workplace culture. And so what happens is that we could move from a place of uh, pre-competence, do our training, we start to become culturally aware, um, we start to engage in looking after women from different cultures, we start to develop some degree of cultural competence, and then Regarding cultural safety, we now have to think about what is the personal identity of the woman? How do we protect that? And it's very easy to protect the uh, cultural identity of the woman. It's about understanding her viewpoint, understanding her wishes, and understanding um, her beliefs and values. Understanding your beliefs and values and how that may conflict or differ from the woman's beliefs and values. And then making sure that the woman tells you what she wishes for, what she thinks she needs to have to achieve a successful pregnancy and a, a good outcome. And these are the things that are important, I think, in today, because obviously when I trained 20 years ago, um, it was very, very different to, to today. And when I did my training, there was nothing mentioned about culture and cultural competency. I never heard the words. Um, there was nothing mentioned about racism or discrimination. We knew it was there, but it was never talked to, talk to us, talk to us um, in, you know, verbalized to us in our midwifery training. And when you went into the clinical area, you just basically you give it, you provided the care as prescribed, obviously by unit policy. And obviously when you look at your Mao's textbook or your May's textbook, it tells you how you need to provide the care. And there is a little bit in there around cultural competency and cultural safety. But I think what we need to do in our midwifery practice today is just look at who determines that the woman's uh, care is culturally safe. Is it us or is it woman? And how do you know that the woman is having culturally safe care? So those are the things that we need to think of. And so that's the end of my presentation. I'm happy to get any questions. Thank you. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Fantastic. Now, I, this is a good chance for me to just remind our audience, if you have questions for Sarah, if you can send them in through the live chat, then now I'm, I'm looking away now at <laughs> my other screen. They'll come through to me here. There's usually a little bit of a delay. So audience, while you're thinking, start getting some questions in and we, we've got a little bit of time at the end to ask Sarah some questions. I've got a question myself, but I'll, I'll save it for, for a little bit later, if that's okay, Sarah. Thank you very much. That's really helpful to, to get thinking about how we can help to make sure women are kept, have their cultural identity and their culture safe um, for, for their care. Fantastic, okay. Um, I'm now moving on to, and I'm delighted to welcome Professor Leslie Page, CBE, 
who's a visiting professor in midwifery at King's College, London, an adjunct professor at UTS and Griffith University in Australia. Um, Leslie's previously been president of the Royal College of Midwives, and she was the first professor of midwifery in the UK at Thames Valley University and Queen Charlotte's, and is a renowned international academic, advocate and activist for midwives, mothers and babies with more than 32 years midwifery experience. She's also been conferred with an honorary DSC by the University of West London and the award of commander of the British Empire for services to midwife, midwifery in 2014. So Leslie, welcome. And the screen is now yours. Thank you very much, Sue. I'm so pleased to be here. It's wonderful to be on the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, but particularly on the International Day of the Midwife. And Sarah, such an honour to follow you. I looked you up online and you're very distinguished. And I think that your lecture demonstrates one of the things I'm going to be talking about in the brief time that I've got the kind of achievements that we should celebrate in academic development in midwifery. Um, I worked in New Zealand a few times and everybody who works there actually has to do their cultural competence training. So they really do live by that, by that mantra. But first of all, I want to thank all of you who are with us tonight. I can only imagine the kind of challenges that you've been through. And I have to respect all that you've done for women and, and for babies. And I know you've had challenges with your own personal life and your own families. So thank you for all you've done through the COVID pandemic. Well, I want to move on to the International Day of the Midwife. Franca Cadet, the wonderful dynamic president of the International Confederation of Midwives, has spoken clearly about this week's theme, this year's theme. And in tone and content, it's very different to other years. It's this, she says, follow the data, invest in midwives. Her message couldn't be clearer. Midwives save lives. The numbers are profound. Achieving universal coverage of midwife delivered interventions by 2035 could avert 67% of maternal deaths, 64% of newborn deaths, and 65% of stillbirths. 4.3 million lives could be saved by 2035. Quite stunning. And the State of the World's Midwifery Report, which Sue talked about earlier, emphasizes the importance of fully educated and regulated midwives integrated within and supported by interdisciplinary teams and an enabling environment. And this enabling environment is absolutely critical. But this leads me to one of the things that I want to celebrate tonight, the success of academic and educational development of midwives and midwifery. Over the last two to three decades, the development of midwifery science and practice development has led to some of the most important progress in maternity care and services around the world. We have a great deal to be proud of. These include the development of continuity of carer, the quality framework for maternal and child health, optimizing cesarean section, an understanding of the two parallel problems, too little too late and too much too soon. 
These have contributed to changes that will not only save lives, but will humanize childbirth for every woman becoming mother, every baby being born, every family, wherever they live and whatever their circumstances. And the work of humanizing childbirth is actually to focus on every woman, every mother, every baby, every family, wherever they are around the world. These are a few of the high profile big impact studies and behind them and alongside them are thousands of studies and reviews that help us understand. They help us understand the experience of women and babies and families, what they want and how we might meet their needs. Another thing to celebrate is the creation of policy that is woman-centered and this idea of woman-centered policy came originally from the United Kingdom, from England. Um, this policy builds on effective and powerful midwifery in many parts of the world, including here in the UK. There are key messages that emerge time and time again from years of research and experience. We must listen to women and respond to their needs. A critical aspect of positive care is a respectful relationship with carers. Women want access to high quality services. These require systems of care that are built around the needs of women and local communities, not the needs of professionals or health services. These all need investment in midwives and midwifery. But I want to pause for a moment to think about what this investment needs means. Saving lives is of course critical, but we need to do more than this. We need to go beyond surviving to thriving. And investment in midwives is of course critical, but is not enough. Just as we need to respect women and their babies and families and respond to their individual needs, Midwives should be treated with respect, not just for them as individual professionals, but for what they are able to bring to maternity care, the distinct contribution that midwives make. It is not just this un unique contribution though, but also the knowledge and science underlying midwifery that is important. This includes the science of physiology of pregnancy, labor, birth, and after, including feeding. Understanding these is crucial to well-being and secure mother-baby attachment. While from many points of view, maternity care and midwifery is strong in the UK, there are also elements of a culture that limits the contribution of midwives and midwifery. This culture has often ignored, denied, even vilified the sciences of midwifery, including physiological or normal birth. This damaging element of our culture is seen through social media, mainstream media, and even some parts of government in England. It is a culture that supports and enables the liberal use and promotion of interventions, such as induction of labor or cesarean section, rather than optimizing their use so they are available to those women and babies who may need them, but not used unnecessarily. This culture will reduce safety and limit developments that are important to the progress of services, 
that generally meet the needs of all women, their babies and families. So I'm going to finish with a challenge. In understanding the configuration of services, systems of care that are best for women, honest and open debate is important. We need honest accounts and interpretation of research evidence and a whole view of the body of evidence, not just convenient cherry-picked parts of the evidence. And I speak particularly about an understanding of the evidence about physiology of birth and the mother-baby attachment. The media too has a role to play and honesty and genuinely inquiring reports are much needed and not seen very often. It's only when we develop a culture that not only respects midwives and their unique contribution, but also the knowledge and evidence base of the profession that midwives will be able to make their full contribution, play their full role and contribute to services that give every woman, every baby, every family the best start in life. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Gosh, whoa. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I think we've had a in a, in a way this is sort of um, a huge cult. This is just all about culture, isn't it? And yeah, absolutely. I, I think <laughs> I think it's I have I have questions and I, I guess I should start with Sarah because I, I because I don't want to lose that question before I have a, I do have a question for Leslie. In terms of I mean you were talking about Leslie, uh, Sarah, sorry, about everyone having a culture which is so, and our culture doesn't necessarily isn't defined by one thing because we we organise our own with our family and our friends and uh, you know where we come from, whatever, our town, whatever. Uh, and you were talking about looking at our own culture and knowing our culture. I and mean, is there a sort of is there a kind of checklist? that we should try and use to make sure we're not just narrowing in on one bit of it and only understanding a little bit of our culture. Because it's a quite a taken for granted thing, I think, for a lot of people. You, you don't give it a lot of thought. It's my, this is the way I am and that's it. Well, the definition, <laughs> of, the definition of culture, um, when you look at key textbooks, um, yeah. is, is obviously around your beliefs and also a shared way of doing things yeah. and that shared way of doing things might be just you and maybe one other person in your family yeah. because obviously people from the same family have different cultures but if you're looking at for example you're working as a midwife you're looking after a woman who wants to have you know a particular way of you know birthing her child then you can look at yourself and think well what do I think about that do I think that's the way it should be done and if this is the way the woman says it wants to be done according to her culture and her beliefs and values, then you look at, does it differ to yours? And is that influencing the way that you are going to care for that woman? So that's just one example I can give. Mm. So, so you, it, it, you know, there's many contexts that you can use um, um, culture and looking at your cultural differences mm. compared to the woman. But it's just like looking at what the woman wants to do and looking at yourself and saying, would I do it that way? Am I influenced differently? Mm. Do you know, it, it makes me kind of think this is about having, it's like having two new friends 
or acquaintances having a discussion about something important, isn't it? So in a way, what, what we're trying to do is, get, and, I, and I know that this is probably near to Leslie's heart because of the work, work she did with Changing Childbirth and Forever, actually, about the, the kind of relationship you have with the women. women. And for me, it's, this is about you treating the woman as an equal, as a friend, and getting to know what is important to her and, and ha is it different? Because she might not have thought about it either. She might just think, well, I have to do as they say, because they're the experts. That's quite, um, it's quite an interesting thought. I mean, I was also from, from Leslie, because I'm jumping and skipping a little bit here, because there are some questions coming in. I want to get this one in first, but you're, you're, you're quite talking about media and the news and that the difficulty of getting very um, clear news sometimes, maybe a little bit biased. How, what advice would you give to us as midwives as a way of finding out what's right and what's wrong, what's accurate and what's not? I know this is a huge question. Yeah, and I think that that's a question too for the research evidence. I mean, for example, at the moment, we know the induction rate in the United Kingdom and much of the world is going up. Mm -hmm. And that's based on the AFFIRM study. Mm -hmm. And we know from criticism and critical appraisal of that study that in fact, the, the, the evidence has been interpreted probably in a way that is very unhelpful. And so we're following evidence that actually isn't particularly relevant to our situation and evidence that's been cherry picked and leaves out some other bodies of evidence. So actually looking for the truth in scientific studies, reports, evidence is absolutely important. And all student midwives are now taught how to do that. And the average educated person should be able to do that. But the media is something else. And it has become biased in the last 10 years or so in a way that I would never have imagined in the United Kingdom, in which we actually have quite a good level, um, a good quality of reporting. And I would like to see the media having some standards for reporting and a kind of genuine inquiry. For example, when we read the terrible tragic stories of failing maternity services, mm. it would be so helpful to have the press making a genuine inquiry to what went wrong and looking at the complexity of the picture mm. rather than picking on one angle. And the media does actually affect all of us and influence all of us and also reflects on professionals. Um, and so I think we have got two cultures playing out at the moment. But I have to say in England, we have a very, very strong foundation. You know, the NHS has long-term goals for continuity of carer. We've got a chief midwife in England, a chief midwife in Scotland. They are very strong individuals. We've got very good standard of education and the student midwives that we're seeing are absolutely stunning. And, you know, a number of the leading academics around the world have come from the United Kingdom. Mm. So I think we've got a very strong foundation. But I think my challenge is that we have to look for the honesty. And what really worries me 
is that when science is interpreted dishonestly, because if we lose honesty in science, I think we're lost. And, you know, the, the science underlying midwifery is often second cousin. It's often seen as being contentious and it's in the shadows. And somehow we need to bring it into the light and midwives need to be able to talk about it. The physiology of normal birth and feeding and how that supports a mother baby interaction, for example. We need to be able to tell that story, really. Okay, so we need our, our fundamental education just to support that, because if you don't know the in-depth physiology, you're not going to be able to spot the, the kind of adapt in untruth, if you like. Yes, exactly. So much. Fabulous. Thank you. That's fabulous. We've got some questions come through, which is why I'm looking away. I've got a question, and, and I, I think this is, um, well, this could be for both Leslie and Sarah, um, from Esther Sharma who says, thank you for that. What are your thoughts about when a woman's culture conflicts with the biomedical model in which we work? Now, shall I start with Sarah? I think it sounds like a Sarah question. <laughs> thank you. I can see her thinking on this one. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is the conflict that I was talking about between the uh, midwife professional culture and obviously... Uh, medical professional culture and obviously the woman's culture mm. now um when we talk about conflict i guess i want to say ask what do you mean because is it conflict that is um is there is it a conflict because it's unsafe is it unsafe cultural practice we know that there are some unsafe cultural practices um which we, we wouldn't allow because obviously the safety of the mother and the baby is mm. paramount but there are some cultural things that the woman wants to do that is okay to do and we can mm. compromise. That's why midwives are our autonomous practitioners. Everyone has a scope of midwifery practice. And when I think about scope of midwifery practice, I, to me, it's like a big nebulous ball. It expands and contracts mm. and everyone's scope of practice is a little bit different. But when you have that experience and that knowledge and that understanding of cultural safety, there is a, there is a path or there is a space for compromise. And if you can facilitate what she wants to do, then facilitate it. I'm, I'm, I think I won't say more than that. Sounds, it sounds um, good to me. Could, yes, I, could I add to that? And Sarah, I'd like to know what you think about this. This interaction, an interaction with a woman responds to her needs, gets to know her, understand her, what her beliefs and values are. But it is also a time in which the midwife needs to give information. Yes. And it seems to me that this giving of information is a real art because it can be interpreted as being bullying, pushing your point of view. But I think the ability to give the information, if the woman, for example, is choosing a route which might make care less safe for her, I think it's absolutely ethical and right that the midwife should be able to talk about the information to help the woman understand so that she has a basis for making her decisions but ultimately, of course, the woman is entitled to make her own decision and should make her own decision. Does that make sense to you? It does make sense to me. And as, as obviously I'm in education and obviously, I'm, you know, students at the start of their midwifery career when they're just qualified will not be able to make that compromise or 
be able to give that advice, but actually get more experience and, you know, have more interactions with women and come across more of these requests on a regular basis. Then you are able to obviously offer the information, but then you work with the woman to come to a compromise, a shared decision, shared decision-making, mm -hmm. rather than deciding for the woman and not giving her truly informed choice and also informed consent. So yes, I do agree with the information given, that's very important. Fabulous, thank you very much. I've got a, a comment uh, from Joe D'Agustin. Uh, hi Joe, and she says, comment for Sarah, great stuff Sarah, and so clearly explained. Midwives can do a great job on this and it's really great that we're focusing on that nowadays. But I think it's probably important to recognize that there may be gaps and issues, however competent the midwife is. E.g., if I'm anxious in hospital in Wales or Manchester, I might not personally feel as culturally safe as if I'm in the southeast of London because the very voices of HCPs I hear around me do not represent home, i.e. me. Yeah, I understand that. I really feel, felt this a few years back when in hospitals on consecutive weeks supporting ill family members in Wales and Kent. The HCPs in Wales were really lovely, but I realised I just felt more at ease and at home with the staff in Kent, where I grew up. Very complex issue. Just a comment, really. Great presentation. Thank you. I think that, Joe, that's a fantastic point to make because that, that kind of, that really underlines the difference, that it's not as simple. It, it's all over the country and all over the world. We've all got different cultures that we're uh, dealing with, which, which, and the, even the accents can impact on us. So that's a lovely point. I don't know if Leslie or Sarah want to comment on that. Well, I would say, hi, Joe. really great that you're here. I would say that part of the role of the midwife is to help make the woman feel at home. And of course, if the woman's in an institution not having a home birth, she is in a foreign place for her. And she's immediately in a kind of lower power relationship. So to me, actually the role of the midwife is to help the woman feel at home. And, and you can do that by the way you speak, but also just the basic things about this is the bell and this is what you can do. And you know, your partner can go make a cup of tea. So it's actually creating a home around the woman. Mm. I think that's a lovely point. Thank you. That's, I mean, and, and that's, that's quite, um, you kind of can forget that, I think, if, and you only rem really remember it when you're in, you go into a hospital environment mm -hmm. that's different. Because I know when I went into a maternity unit fairly recently, and it wasn't my maternity unit, and I didn't kind of know what the rules were. Mm -hmm. And I sort of thought, this must be what it's like for a woman because I didn't know who to ask where things were and even where the loo was, mm. you know, very basic stuff. I think it's good for us if we're in that situation, not that we all want to be in hospital all the time, but <laughs> to be reminded. But Sarah, did you want to say anything to, to that? I mean, as midwives, we, we know what to do. We know that if we're looking after a woman in labour, we know that we have to do certain assessments and certain checks. And we, we kind of, this is a kind of prescribed care. We, you know, we have to listen to the fetal heart so often in the first and second stage. And we have to do examinations. This is all prescribed care. Um, but I think what we're not very good at doing is talking to the woman. And that's why the continuity of care model is important because um, I have worked um, 
with that type of module uh, as a community midwife and you you booked the lady and you started that trust in, you know started to you know, develop that trusting relationship and then you you cared for her you may not have, may not have seen her for every antenatal check but you saw her two or three times antenatally mm. and most likely if you didn't look after her in labor you definitely saw her postnatally and so you've developed all that relationship and so therefore it becomes second nature and asking what do you want what do you what do you need and what can i do for you but because we don't have this continuity of care module in all maternity units and in all maternity services we're losing that key communication that we need to have with women and developing that trust and relationship. I think we've lost that. And I think it's a shame really, because when it was in place, it did work really well, I think. Mm. I mean, do you think, do you think the, the fact that, especially at the moment, midwives are a little bit stressed and very busy and maybe having to ask women about what they want or what you know their normal thing, things are around birth takes a wee bit more time that it's a bit difficult to manage? I definitely do. I mean, I know that um, obviously when I was training, a booking took like an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) You spend all that time, time. not just asking the questions, but actually getting to know the woman. Now I know that in some units, they're allowing only 30 minutes for a booking. And I don't know how Mm. physically it can be done. ridiculous you can't (laughs) do a booking in that period of time. No. So it's just like a tick box exercise, get all the information, but Mm. really not knowing the woman. I'm not asking her those questions. I mean, we do, you know, we do have the birth plan and, we, you know, that's, a, you know, maybe addressed at the start of the pregnancy and maybe later on in the, in the third trimester. But mm. when we have those deep um, conversations with women about what do you need and why, why do you want it this way? We don't do that. Mm. Oh, you want to have vitamin K? Tick. Okay, you mm. want parent education classes? Tick. And so it's become more like a tick box exercise, mm. not getting to know the woman at all. But again, in, in a conflict with um, continuity of care models where you're kind of going in a different direction, aren't you? It emphasises the value of that. So fab- fabulous for that. OK, I've got some questions now. I've got Jenny Hall, who says, Leslie, thank you so much for your wise words. You made me cry. Oh, oh Jenny. <laughs> Jenny, thank you. <laughs> Lovely to be with you. <laughs> we have to shift this culture, but how do we do it when there is division among us as well as across other fora? Wow, good question, Jenny. Well, a division between us is an interesting one, isn't it? I was talking to somebody recently about... Um, you know, the, the midwives who work in the birth centre are sometimes against the midwives who are in the labour ward or delivery suite. And, you know, we think that the freestanding birth centre or home birth is better than. And, you know, we're, we're kind of divided up. And I think if we can think of ourselves all working together to help women because we're there to, to staff women and to meet their needs, not our needs. And to me, it's all a matter of culture. And I recently spoke to a lovely young midwife. She's such a leader. And she talked about her managers and how they helped her and how they took a personal interest. So this leadership and management to develop a culture in which we're working together with doctors, maternity support workers, sonographers, everybody to meet the needs of individual women and babies and if we can remember that then it's that culture that's really important but I think that students are really important I mean the students can ask you the questions other people don't ask or don't think of 
And I think if we can encourage this need for honesty, for probing, for saying, why do you say that? Is that true? Um, why have we got such a big induction rate? And I think tolerating debate is really important. And at the moment, this aberrant culture that's growing up that I've talked about seems to be oppressing debate, mm. suppressing debate. But I just wanted to talk briefly, Sue, you talked about going into hospital. My husband has Parkinson's and we went into hospital uh, a week or so ago and he had to go to minor, minor injuries and he had to be admitted to the emergency admission unit. And the nurses there, the, some of the nurses and doctors who treated him were absolutely fabulous. But in one of the wards, I wasn't allowed in. And I went in anyway, because I wanted to find out where my husband was. And they were so aggressive. And I felt yeah. as if I was going across an enemy line and they said, you're not allowed in here. It's very dangerous. How did you get in? And they said, you're better to go home. And one of them said to me, you should just go home, my sweet. And it was that use of the term, my sweet, that just made my blood boil. And I just looked at her and said, I do not like to be called my sweet. Um, but it's that kind of territorial behavior that can grow up in institutions mm. it's probably not relevant to midwifery care but it was about going into a strange environment mm. yeah. and possibly those nurses didn't realize that their their the culture clash in a yes, way yes. maybe because you were breaking the rules leslie yes which surprise you, <laughs> which you quite often have to do i have to say <laughs> well done <laughs> fabulous okay now i've got um now i've got a question from jenny the midwife hi jenny the midwife um do midwives oh do midwives have enough experience of physiology in all birth settings if not how do we improve this and she's saying thank you to all of us to sarah and to leslie well, I think we have to increase the rate of normal or physiological births. And we probably do that by having more continuity of carer, by having midwife-led units or birth centers in the hospital and outside of the hospital, having home births. I think it's time that we introduced medical students and doctors physiological birth so that they understood mm. it. And we have to make sure somehow or another, every student actually is there when a woman is giving birth um, and understanding physiology with experienced midwives who can explain it. Mm, fabulous. Sarah, would you add to that as a, you, with your teacher head? <laughs> yes, obviously we, we need to obviously add to the midwifery workforce and obviously the students we are training today, we need to give them the skills and and tools to to work in any setting really they should be able to do that i mean the uk midwifery professional is it is world renowned um it's very respected but i think um when we, when we look at midwifery education i always say that we need to create midwives who can work anywhere globally mm -hmm. and if they don't have that knowledge of physiological birth and how to deal with births in any settings then we are failing that student because that's that's what midwifery is about working in any setting you just need your hands and your brain. 
and your heart. And you can deliver. Yeah. And your heart. <laughs> yes. Oh, now I have to say, Sarah and Leslie, I, I said earlier that this hour always goes so fast. And this hour has just flown by and it's eight o'clock and we have to complete and finish. And I want to say a huge, huge thank you to both of you, Sarah and Leslie, for joining us and giving us a lot, a bit of a challenge, a lot to think about um, and a real foundation for thinking about continuity of care, relationship building, and really getting that our cultural awareness and cultural safety right to the fore of our brain. So thank you so much for coming to thank be you. with us. Um, I want to say some of us might be on social media later, might answer a few questions. Um, next week, we're looking at the baby and we're looking at the baby in utero in the first few days. So it's a slightly different look next week. Um, and I just a big another big thanks to you, our audience and our lovely, lovely speakers. And we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay safe and take care. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.